0: Star Wars 7x7 episode 2980. This is part 3 of 4 of our andor focused Rogue One rewatch. We are picking up at the moment when Cassian and Bodhi arrive atop that ridge that looks down on the shuttle platform on Idu, and ending just as Jin, Cassian, and K2SO get in that shuttle car that takes them to the Citadel Tower on Scarif. Punch it! Hey Rebel Rouser. I'm Alan Voivod and this is Star Wars 7x7. Your daily dose of Star Wars joy and thank you so much for joining me for it. So quick reminder as I've been doing over these last few episodes, I have yet another tweet. So we have five proposed questions for a potential Mark Hamill interview out there on Twitter and everything that you can do to share, like, retweet this to help get his attention and help convince him to join me for a conversation and that it's something I can share with you on a 3,000th episode of the podcast. I would greatly appreciate your help. Thank you so much for everything you've done so far. Keep it up and let's cross our fingers and hope we can move the needle on this. Alright, let's talk Rogue One. So, right from the start of this section of the movie, we see Cassian decide not to take the shot and assassinate Galen Erso. And as we discussed on yesterday's episode, Diego Luna gives us cues during the scenes where they're flying to Edu, where, if you look at it closer, like we're doing here, you can see the doubt building in him over this. And this mission has really had kind of a domino effect on Cassian's whole worldview. I mean, when we met him on the Ring of Khafrein, he was absolutely ruthless, right? Like, killing an informant so that he could make good his escape and not have anybody give out information about him, give out information about what they discovered and you could argue that shooting one of sagareras folks to save jin was equally ruthless but it also demonstrates a bit of an investment in jin and you know i guess he needed her at that point to be able to get in with saw but after that She's kind of expendable, potentially, as far as he could be concerned, and yet he does not treat her that way, especially when we find out that Alliance forces are on site and he's yelling about Jin being on the platform and saying, Jin no, and then going to rescue her. That's not stuff that he necessarily had to do, and he's shown us that he has a previous history of doing things that are not necessarily that altruistic, at least within the context of a mission. So something is cracked for Cassian at this point. Not only has he saved Jin, he has now essentially saved Galen and now he's invested in saving the both of them. Of course, I don't think he knew or expected that Draven was going to send a squadron to attack Edu, especially considering the discussions that happen with the Alliance counselors where they talk about how Draven openly attacked an Imperial base and Darth Vader talks about that with Krennic, right? So that's just such an unlikely scenario. I think everybody was surprised by that and Cassian very likely was surprised by that too. And incidentally, while we're at it, I'll just say I hope Darth Vader does not show up in the Andor series. I think seeing a Palpatine would be interesting. Palpatine in his Palpatine form, not in his Sidious form, right? So that way we can actually see some governmental senatorial kinds of things. But let's circle back to Cassian and Idu. This is Cassian's opportunity to deliver one of his two very significant monologues in Rogue One. This is the one where he berates Jin for deciding that she's suddenly gonna care about something and that he's been in the fight since he was six years old. Then he says to her that she's not the only one who's lost everything and that some of us just decided to do something about it. Now, it does make me wonder how much of her file the Alliance has and how much they've read. They know that she was involved with Sagarera, and I guess they know that she quote-unquote lost everything because they know her parents are gone, or at least certainly Galen's gone and Lyra was gone. But they must have known she was fighting with Sagarera's Rebels at some point. So, yeah, that line, yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's something that he's just delivering to be defensive in the moment, which would certainly make sense. And he's angry about being questioned, especially when he feels like he did the right thing and certainly everything that unfolded from that moment was out of his control and went against what he would ultimately have wanted to happen, despite going there under entirely different circumstances. Then, of course, when they get back to Yavin 4 and find out that the council's not gonna authorize an attack on Scarif, that's when Cassian gets to give us his other signature speech in Rogue One, talking about how, you know, they've all done terrible things for the rebellion. They're spies and saboteurs and assassins. And he says that if he walked away from the fight now that he couldn't live with himself. So this is another continuation of Cassio sort of unraveling the domino effect of this mission. I mean, he disobeyed the direct order from General Draven to assassinate Galen Urso. Now he's disobeying orders from the entire rebellion leadership and deciding that he's going to organize people to go to Scarif. But it's also an indicator of Cassian's Cachet, as it were, with the members of the rebellion, particularly with the Pathfinders who go on this mission. They are deeply respectful of Cassian and, you know, additionally, you don't want to go for their own particular, you know, desires and motivations and whatnot, but it really does come down to them looking to Cassian as a leader figure and. Letting him speak for them and letting Jin know that they want to be a part of this fight. So what will this have to do with the Andor series? Well, we're going to see him put into increasingly difficult situations and watch him make increasingly ruthless decisions in order to get to the point where we see him in Rogue One. And we're also probably going to get to see him working not just on his own and not just with K2SO, but alongside other rebels as well and developing the trust that he clearly has amongst the rest of these Pathfinders that go on the mission with them. And I love the moment at the end of this where Jin says, I'm not used to people sticking around when things go bad and Cassian says, welcome home. I mean, she's been without a home for so long and yet this is very much who she is and who she wants to be. And she probably would have been fighting with the rebellion if it weren't for her getting pulled into Saw's particular version of the rebellion. And Cassian's respect for her is such that when they are arriving at Scarif and going through the shield gate heading toward the landing pad He gives her the first shot at talking to the Pathfinders there, gives her the opportunity to give the rousing, inspirational speech. He could have come down there because he has the relationship with these people and done it himself, but he defers to her, and I thought that was also particularly awesome. And then, of course, he gives the logistics speech to Melshi and Chirrut and Baze and telling everybody where to go and what to do. And their dynamic really turns around very quickly from what was happening on the shuttle ride to Yavin 4 to what we see here. However, one of the things that I thought might be partly to you know explain it. Is the scene in the council room where everybody's arguing about whether to fight or whether to flee? One of the things that happens is one of the counselors says, You know, General Draven attacked an imperial base, and he says a decision had to be made. This is Draven, uh, Draven's thing. And Jin Erso is there for this exchange, and it made me wonder whether she had a moment to realize, okay, maybe it wasn't Cassian's decision to send a squad there to bomb everybody. Maybe he's just part of this, you know, whole machine. And maybe that's something that she could understand having been a part of Saw partisans considering the things that he authorized and wanted people to do and she ultimately couldn't go anywhere near as far as he wanted her to go. And so, ultimately, that kind of makes Cassian and Jin very similar in some regards, although I will say Cassian has certainly demonstrated, I think this is the word I'm going to keep leaning on, a ruthlessness that maybe Jin, you know, won't necessarily consider or wouldn't have considered in his place, but it seems like it's something that's key to Cassian's character, and I think we're going to see that developed over the course of the Andor series. And the last thing I'll note is that even in spite of the council deciding that War is not the answer. Mon Mothma is still a realist, and she's at the point where she privately confides to Bail Organa that you know no matter what the counselors think, war is inevitable, and we're going to need all the help we get we can get. And hey, talk to your Jedi friend, right? So that's more of Mon Mothma's character development and where we see her eventually arrive at. So it'll be very interesting to see how they get her there in the Andor series. And then I guess between Vaspar and Jebel and Pamlo, those three counselors, Who are really unhappy (laughs) about the developments, that's an opportunity to see these characters forming the alliance in the Andor series as well. So it'll be interesting to see if we get an early look at those characters and how they got involved in this whole shebang. So that's what I've got for you for the third half hour of the movie Rogue One and how it might reflect on the things that we're gonna see in the Andor series. And part four will be happening, but we're gonna skip a day and you'll see why tomorrow. But for now, that is gonna do it for this episode of the show. And it just remains for me to say. Thank you so much for joining me for it. As always, and may the Force be with you wherever in the world you may be. Star Wars 7 by 7 is not endorsed or sponsored yet by Lucasfilm Limited, Disney, or 20th Century Fox and is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. Star Wars, the Star Wars logo, all names and pictures of Star Wars characters, vehicles, and any other Star Wars related items are registered trademarks and or copyrights of Lucasfilm Limited or their respective trademark and copyright holders. May the Force be with them. All original content is copyright 2021 by Star Wars 7 by 7 We hope you love it.